You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. It's episode 3A. For Lauren and Joshua, this is Aaron Fishman. On this exhilarating episode of the podcast, we chat with Isaac Lowenkron, Los Angeles Clippers host for Fox Sports Radio. After an action-packed offseason, the fellow USC alum, who wound up marrying the biggest UCLA Bruins fan around, shares his thoughts on all things Clippers. This is Aaron. Hi, Isaac. First of all, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Can't wait for the season to get underway. Yeah, me too. I, I wanted to ask you how your preseason's been. I, I know you've been gearing up for what figures to be another exciting Clippers season. Oh, it was a, it was a really fun preseason. Uh, it's just great to be back around the arena for the home games and get to see everybody that you haven't seen for, uh, in, in our case, about... Uh, four or five months, just the people you see pretty much every other day during the season. It's almost like the first day of school. And then uh, the Clippers had a very unusual preseason because uh, they went to China for a couple of games against the Hornets. So it was a great experience for everybody who went. And then yeah. uh, with, with our hosting back here in L.A., I think one of the games we were on the air at like 10 p.m. Pacific time. And then another wow. game we were on the air at like uh, 5 or 6 a.m., Pacific time because of the time difference. So that certainly made it for uh, an unusual preseason. And they played actually only six preseason games instead of the standard eight that most teams play. But lots of mileage logged. I saw you tweeted about that. I trust that now everyone has figured out what time zone they're in and everything. Yeah, you know, I'm bad enough just staying in the Pacific time zone myself. But uh, a trip like that, because it's literally halfway around the world, you know, when you fly to the East Coast, maybe you get over your jet lag in, in a day or so. But uh, I think when you do the sort of traveling like that, that's something that it, it may take uh, a week or even more uh, to yeah. recover from. I mean, we would see tweets from the, the traveling party, uh, you know, players, staff members. Well, it's 4 a.m. And, <laughs> and I'm wide awake or it's 3 a.m. and I'm wide awake. So that was certainly a component. So it's good that you know, they had sort of a, a buffer between the time they got back from China and when they played the, their last couple of preseason games and, and obviously the gap between then and the regular season starting. But it's so interesting uh, uh, that they actually can track these things down. But, uh, yeah, I, I found out and I tweeted about it, like you mentioned, that yeah. uh, the Clippers during the preseason traveled uh, something like uh, 16,000 miles or over 16,000 miles, and it was like over half what like the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to travel during the entire span of the regular season so uh, that was pretty interesting that's crazy and just getting into it now three of the last four western conference semifinals the clippers have appeared in i know every team will say championship is the goal but are the clippers finally out of out of excuses basically is it championship or bust this season in your opinion uh, I actually don't think that's the case, believe it or not. And I'd, I'd actually say that for not only the Clippers, but uh, several teams in the Western Conference. And I'll probably forget one, but I think, you know, the Warriors, the Spurs, uh, the Rockets, the Thunder, 
Uh, all those sorts of teams can make arguments like that. I throw in the Grizzlies there as well, just because the, the, the conference is so tough it's once again. Uh, yeah, any, any number of those teams could legitimately be NBA championship teams. Only two of them are going to make the conference finals, and only one of them uh, is going to win the NBA championship. Obviously, they have to go through the East first, but I actually think for for all those teams I mentioned, uh, if they don't win at all this year, it'll be a tremendous disappointment for all those teams. But uh, I don't think it's a reason at at all for the Clippers or any of those teams to make any drastic changes. And especially, you know, obviously, uh, anyone who follows the Clippers wants them to to go all the way this year and and win the NBA championship, and that's their expectation. But if for some reason that doesn't happen, I see no reason at all to tinker with their nucleus in any way, shape, or form because a yeah. nucleus like this at the ages that these guys are at, you're not going to find that every day. It's not, it, it doesn't exactly grow on trees. No, you're right. Expectations are, are now so high for the Clippers and their fan base, but they haven't ever been to the Western Conference Finals even, so that would be a huge set. Now, one thing I want to ask you is about their defense. It, it got better as the season progressed, but uh, it was their explosive offense that was really the guiding force for their success last season. Doc Rivers has long envisioned the Clippers as a more defensive-minded team. Do you think it's realistic to expect the Clippers to crack into the maybe the top third or, or one of the elite defensive teams this season? I absolutely do think it's realistic, and I think a lot of it has to do with the improvement of the, the nucleus that's remaining from last year, but also uh, all the changes and additions that they've made. What's really interesting is in Doc's first year, two years ago, the Clippers were seventh in the NBA in defensive efficiency and they were actually first in the nba in defending the three and then last year they dropped down to 15th exact middle of the pack in both categories and that was really somewhat surprising considering you had a guy in deandre jordan who last year finished uh, third in the defensive player of the year voting for the second straight year and you know i'm obviously biased but i felt he should have won the thing but uh that's obviously something that people like to uh debate but you know think what their numbers would have been if they didn't have deandre last year to erase uh whatever defensive deficiencies they had but i think because of the additions this year also because you know this is now going to be austin rivers first full season with the team uh, i expect those numbers to be uh, significantly better than middle of the pack okay and about jamal crawford I love him as a, as a player, as a guy, honest interviewee, and he's just a fun player and a great teammate. I'm curious about how he fits in with the new additions. It seems like there's kind of a logjam off the bench. We're going to get to if Lance Stevenson is or, or should start later, but how does Crawford fit with this team? Is that going to be a challenge, or is all this backcourt depth a good problem to have for Doc Rivers? Oh, I, I think you can never have too much depth. I think the season is too long. Unfortunately, injuries are a fact of life and a part of life in the NBA, and every team is going to deal with them. So I'm a huge advocate of depth at every position at all costs. And, you know, the, the preseason, especially since they just played six games, uh, it's a small sample size to begin with, and, and the preseason is pretty much meaningless because it's just such a different dynamic. But uh, for what it's worth, Jamal l- looks very good in the preseason. He shot nearly 50% from the field, which is, uh, which is outstanding for him. Uh, and as you broke it down with all those sorts of, of players, and I'd lump 
you know, Jamal, Wesley Johnson, Austin Rivers, Lance Stevenson. And again, I get it, it's preseason. It's going to be a different dynamic in the regular season. But all their minutes came in really close to one another. They, they were all between 18 and 21 minutes per game. Uh, so because I think of, of the, the character of the guys involved, particularly like Jamal, and, and I echo your thoughts, he's one, he's one of the, the, the best people I've ever dealt with uh, in sports, period. He's just incredibly thoughtful and, and down to earth, and, and he, he comes at it from a real real perspective. Uh, he, he doesn't put on airs at all. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed the conversations that I've had with him over the years. Because he's a pro, he's going to be fine no matter what his role is. I mean, all, all the guys, you know, they, they want to play as much as possible. They want to contribute and produce as much as possible. But as professionals, they know that, that part of uh, the deal is sacrificing certain individual things to be part of a championship-winning team. Hey, Isaac, this is Lauren speaking. I have a related question. You kind of touched on this in your previous answer, but Doc Rivers has repeatedly said that the title of starter is largely ceremonial in today's NBA, and what more, what matters more is how players fit into a rotation. Specifically, the Clippers have three similar quality type small forwards between Pierce, Stevenson, and Johnson. Does it matter who starts between them, or maybe could we possibly see it change game to game based on matchups? Well, well, Lauren, that's a great question. I I, I agree completely. I I think that, you know, starting in certain instances is something that's largely ceremonial. I think what's a a lot more important is the five guys that you have out there to finish a close game. And that position was something I was focused on very closely during the preseason. Uh, Paul started the first uh, preseason game, Wesley Johnson started the next three, and Lance started the last two. And I'd really anticipated that the starter was either going to be Paul or Wesley at small forward, and I didn't really know which one was best. And I really didn't think it was actually uh, too big of a deal going in. And I think Doc felt the same way. But I, I really like the dynamic of the way Lance Stevenson fit in uh, to the starting lineup over the last two games. And uh, I think this will be something that will probably fluctuate and probably change during the start of the regular season. But right now, I, I think the best uh, candidate to start at small forward uh, from what I saw during the preseason is Lance Stevenson. Uh, I think there are uh, always ebbs and flows during the season, so I wouldn't be surprised if that changed. But uh, if I had to guess, I'd say that Lance would be the, the guy who starts at small forward to to open the season, and then they go from there. Yeah, speaking of Lance Stevenson, we got a taste of what he could do in, in Indiana, but last season he seemed to take a big step backwards, at least offensively, playing in Charlotte. What can he and the Clippers do to get his confidence back up this season? I think so much of success in the NBA is fit. Uh, Indiana was a, an excellent fit for Lance with his role. Uh, Charlotte was not a good fit. And that's sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it's something you just cannot possibly predict 
on paper. Uh, it, it's something that looks great on paper, just might not work out in, in reality. And, and it kind of goes both ways. Something that you don't necessarily think is going to be great on paper could wind up being uh, a spectacular success when, when they get out there on the court. Uh, so I think Lance's role and his expectations are, are a lot closer to what they were in Indiana than they were uh, in Charlotte. And, you know, Doc was actually talking about what he's seen out of Lance uh, just before the final preseason game against Portland. And uh, he was describing that one of the things that he's asked to do and all the Clippers are asked to do is just move the ball quickly. And they don't like the ball sticking and they don't like a guy dribbling for like five or six seconds. And he remarked that in one of the preseason games, he observed Lance kind of dribbling for a few seconds. And then he like was looking at the expression on his face and it sunk in. I'm not supposed to do that. That's not my role here. And he could sort of see him realizing it out there on the court and then, you know, making the proper correction and making a pass and the ball kept on moving. So uh, the bigger point that Doc tried to make is it's clear that Lance is is buying in to what the Clippers are asking of him. And and again, small sample size throughout the preseason, but uh, we've really liked what we've seen so far uh, from Lance. Uh, And it's not just from an offensive standpoint. I mean, I remember you know, two years ago with, with Indiana, he just made winning plays. I mean, he almost single-handedly beat the Clippers uh, in one game just by getting really timely offensive rebounds. And uh, that year he had five triple-doubles to lead the NBA. So, uh, yeah, he, he can obviously score, he can attack, but I think he can uh, contribute in a lot of other ways. Yeah, as I think Joshua here, I want to talk about Josh Smith. How does the coach or organization rein him in on the court? Or would you say you just have to let Josh be Josh? From what I've seen in the preseason, Joshua, I think it's been uh, I think it's been the latter. Uh, uh, he really has seemed to to fit in quite nicely uh, with that second unit. Uh, I mean, I think he really had one of the best uh, start to finish preseasons by anyone on the Clippers. They've been using him at the center position on that second unit. And I've really liked that dynamic there. And, uh, you know, I think that his attributes fit the Clippers and exactly what they're looking for. And I think when it comes to, to reining in, I think it's kind of a question of uh, what team you're playing for and who else is there and what their expectations are. Uh, if you're on a team that has a lot of veterans and, and really has championship expectations, you know, the coach can police the players, but it's also a, a self-policing locker room. And uh, a player doesn't want to sort of go off on his own because, you know, he doesn't want to necessarily tick off the head coach, but he doesn't want to tick off his peers either. So I think the Clippers locker room this year uh, is more of a self-policing locker locker room. And I think, you know, the dynamic exists where players, whether they be Josh Smith or a guy we talked about, Jamal Crawford, you know, in order to be on a championship team and win a championship, most people are going to have to sacrifice a little bit. And uh, I think true professionals realize that, you know, if, if you were in a situation where you were on a team that had a lot fewer expectations, maybe you could uh, freelance and try to do your own thing more and have impressive stats. But uh, that's, it, it takes a different dynamic to, to be a championship contender. Yeah, let's talk about Doc really quick. He clearly comes in with a loaded bench after a strong offseason. But how difficult is it for a head coach to make GM-type decisions during the grind of a long season? Last season, he pretty much whiffed on Spencer Hawes and Jordan Farmer. How's he doing now, would you say? 
Well, that's been an issue that's been heavily discussed around the team. And I think that it's kind of been uh, really misunderstood uh, to a great degree. And it, it's just a fascinating issue with a lot of layers to it. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to, to last year and two of the players you mentioned, Spencer Hawes and Jordan Farmer. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, both of those acquisitions uh, did not work out at all. I thought that the Spencer Hawes edition on paper before last season was going to be a fabulous uh, edition. And uh, he, it, it looked terrific in the preseason. And I go back to my comment earlier about how uh, preseason largely winds up meaning nothing. Uh, the Jordan Farmer uh, signing, I was a little more skeptical about going in, and that turned out not to be a, a fit. Uh, and then what wound up happening was, uh, yeah, it didn't work out. But what happened in midseason, you know, during the flow of games in mid-January, well, Doc and the Clippers were able to make the acquisition to bring in, among others, Austin Rivers. And that was another acquisition that I think has been uh, largely misunderstood. I think that the stock response and the stereotypical response by people would be to, even to this day, rip Austin Rivers. But what is the most important way uh, to measure a player's ability and impact. It's what they do in the playoffs. And last year, it wound up that Austin directly contributed, directly contributed to three big playoff victories. Game four at San Antonio, when the Clippers trailed that series at that particular point, two games to one. And then he starts game one of the Houston series without Chris Paul, has a terrific game, and also has a terrific game in game three against the Rockets. So I really felt that uh, both Doc and Austin were not credited enough uh, for that acquisition. And as it relates to Doc's role as GM, it, it was so interesting that last year we would only get calls criticizing Doc's ability as an executive after losses. <laughs> we never we never got one critical phone call of his abilities as an executive after wins, uh, which I thought was uh, uh, I noted with great amusement. Uh, it seems to be like a, a stock uh, criticism whenever something goes wrong uh, that people just bust out without a lot of thought. And, and Doc gave a, a really great uh, gave really great insight on his role as an executive and a coach uh, before one of the games last year. And he said, you know, what I do as an executive is really a lot like uh, how it was in Boston with Danny Ainge. I mean, Danny was the GM, but it was a, it was a partnership and it was a collaboration. And Danny wasn't going to make a, a major personnel move uh, that I wasn't on board with because I was the head coach. And uh, with the Clippers, you know, there's a there's a great infrastructure built in with all sorts of, you know, people around basketball operations and and scouting and uh, infrastructure and, and salary cap analysis and and analytics. Uh, you know, with guys like Dave Wall and and Gary Sachs and and I could go on and on. It, it's not like you know, Doc. If they have three days in between games, uh, has to take a flight to 
to Eastern Europe to, to scout a, a power forward and, and fly, you know, 12 hours and then fly back, uh, there's an infrastructure. So uh, there's more than enough resources for him to, to do the job as, uh, as an executive. And I, I really think it's, it's pretty similar to, uh, you know, other organizations throughout the NBA because, you know, the, the president of basketball operations or the, the GM uh, is going to be pretty much the, the big picture guy to begin with. And there's an infrastructure uh, in place to, to fill in all the other details. Let's do a little rapid fire. Who do you think is the most important offseason addition for the Clippers this season? Uh, would DeAndre Jordan technically count? No, I, I don't think he would technically be. Let's do pick a new face. <laughs> um, I, I think it's going to be, hmm, boy, that's a good, I, I could go in any direction. I'm just going to say uh, Paul Pierce. It might not seem like that with the minutes he sort of plays during the regular season, but I, I think he's going to uh, be big shot after big shot maker during uh, the, the postseason. Right. Do the Clippers finally reach the Western Conference Finals? Yes, but I'm biased. Uh, what else am I, yeah. I going to say? I mean, I, I, I have them. I have them in the uh, in the NBA Finals against the Cavaliers. Again, I'm biased. Uh, but man, uh, it, it's going to be another you know grueling run uh, through through the postseason this year. Just to think of of you know Golden State and and, and Memphis and uh, uh, Houston and obviously San Antonio and and the real wild card I think is is Oklahoma City. And uh, I, I hope that uh, I hope that they're able to stay healthy, particularly Durant and Westbrook, because uh, uh, if those guys can stay healthy, I think they're going to be right back up as championship contenders this year. Who's the most underrated Clipper? Uh, the most underrated Clipper. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to really throw kind of a curveball. I'm going to say Chris Paul. You know, he's now to the point where he is so excellent and so consistent. Now he's in his fifth year with the Clippers. He's been top seven in the MVP each year. Uh, I actually think that I, even though I try not to, I sometimes take him for granted. Uh, and, and even to this point, I think he's underrated just because he he has done it so consistently and he does it every single night. Uh, once you see someone do that so often every single night without any drop off, I think people just uh, because of human nature start to take someone like that for granted. So believe it or not, I'm going to say Chris Paul. Who is the Clipper most likely to be traded during the season? Me, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be traded to uh, I'll be traded to the Washington Wizards for a headphone adapter. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that will be a, a, a win for both organizations. You know, I'm not I'm not sure the Clippers are are likely to make a deal. Uh, during the season, because I just think they have all the pieces in place. So uh, I think if, if the additions on the second unit don't exactly fit together perfectly the first couple of months of the season, I don't think Clipper fans should panic. Of course, that's not going to stop them from panicking. Uh, but the, the goal is not for these guys to be fitting in perfectly in November and December. The goal is for all of them to fit in perfectly April, May, and, and hopefully June. Hey, it's Lauren again. Obviously, the addition of all the talent in the offseason gives Doc a little bit more flexibility with the lineups he can use. Could we see him get a little creative and run some small ball lineups with Pierce at the four and Griffin or Smith at the five? Or maybe uh, really big lineups playing Smith, Griffin, and DeAndre all at the same time? 
Lauren, I think that's absolutely what he's going to do. I mean, he, he almost has the opportunity to be a, a basketball mad scientist. Uh, I really enjoyed watching the uh, preseason lineup that they had, primarily with Josh Smith playing center on that second unit and Paul Pierce being the power forward. Uh, you could also have Blake if you're mixing and matching starters and reserves. And, yeah, that, that's another fascinating combination, uh, potential combination to have Josh and DJ and Blake out there at the exact same time. You know, my general philosophy when it comes to, to lineups and matchups is don't try and match up with the other team, make the other team match up with you. And if you can have a, a lineup that's, uh, that's dominating, uh, especially with the caliber of personnel the Clippers have, uh, you throw out there just who you want to throw out there and make the other guy match up with you. So I think we're going to see a, a dizzying amount of uh, lineup combinations uh, during the course of the season. It's a long season to begin with, and uh, it's just remarkable how, how many possibilities there are for, uh, for lineups for Doc to choose from. This is Aaron again. Before we wind down, I want to ask you about DeAndre Jordan. Much is obviously made about his defense, and for good reason. But he does so much offensively to contribute to such an explosive unit, and he does it without really very many plays being drawn for him. I'm kind of curious just about where he's coming from. He wanted to be a, a significant offensive factor with Dallas. Obviously, uh, he, he decided to stay with the Clippers. And he's not going to get as many opportunities offensively in terms of plays being drawn up from him. But he runs the floor. He, he picks up scraps. Can you just expand upon that and really um, how much DeAndre is expecting his offensive role to increase? Or is he not? I, I think he was already a hugely significant part of the Clippers offense. And, and this is something that I've been trying to uh, say to our radio audience and people in, in social media for a long time about DJ's role in the offense. Um, you, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and even probably it'll continue this season, uh, I'd be getting phone calls of people saying, well, DeAndre needs to work on his post game. He needs to develop uh, post moves. He needs to develop a hook shot and blah, 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 blah. And my answer to that was, why? If if you run the floor on a fast break and throw down an alley-oop slam dunk, or if you get an offensive rebound and, and put in a, a putback, that counts two points, just like a traditional post move, drop step, skyhook would. And it's more uh, efficient so, with his leaping ability and finishing ability. Yes, absolutely. That's what I've been trying to tell people for years is that he already has incredible offensive weapons. And, you know, if he scores on a, on a post move, it's not like he should get extra points because, oh, that's an old school post move. I mean, he has incredible offensive skills in his own right to the extent where, you know, sure, it'd be nice if he could throw on a skyhook every now and then, and, and he has, but he doesn't need 
uh, traditional post moves because he's got all these other offensive skills. I mean, I mean, just because you know, just because you, you throw down an alley oop or or you can run the floor really well or you're a great offensive rebounder, uh, there shouldn't be any shame in that because you're going to get two. He can average you know 15 or, or or 20 point or he can score 15 or 20 points consistently doing those things. He doesn't necessarily need to throw in uh, skyhook. So I, I think he was already a hugely prominent part of the Clipper offense. And I think by, by getting, you know, the improved depth with the additions that they've had, when he's on the floor with guys who aren't starters, that's going to take pressure off of him. And, and he can contribute even more offensively than he even did last year. Okay, Isaac, before we let you go, I have to touch on the new uniforms and logo. Obviously, they haven't been very well received so far. What's your take on them? And do you think there's a chance they could be they could grow on us well they actually did grow on me uh they they totally grew on me to the point where uh i think they're terrific right now i I think what really was the um I, i don't know the uh the turning point for me was actually seeing them on the floor, on the court, in the arena during games. I think that's where it, it really took the next step for me. I, I think, you know, when you're used, the, the, the previous logo was literally the only logo they've had in, in like my entire life. <laughs> so, you know, I think whenever a logo is changed, it's an adjustment process for people. But when it really uh, kind of sunk in and, and grew on me the most was, was getting to see them out on the court uh, and, and the way that, uh, the logo looked on their uniforms. I think it, it, it really stands out and, and adding the color black with, uh, with the lettering clippers across the front of their uniforms is terrific. And, uh, you know, ha- having lived in Southern California all my life, yeah, logos are great. They're important, but I think it's it's more important who's uh, wearing the uniforms that have the logo on them. So to to have uh, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan uh, wearing those logos when uh, you know six years ago it was uh, Baron Davis wearing uh, the the old uh, logo. Uh, I think uh, no matter what the logo is, it's going to look a lot better these days with those guys wearing them. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely different seeing it in real life versus like the mock-ups on computer screens or in the projectors. I think that's our show. Thank you so much, Isaac, for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot. I'm sure I can say the same for Aaron and Josh. Well, my pleasure, guys. I I enjoyed it greatly, and I, uh, I can't wait for the season to start. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Hopefully we could do it again sometime. Anytime.